Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into another episode of AOA, Agriculture of America. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday stretch uh, through the weekend. Got filled up on turkey and all the sides and, and much, much more. I know I certainly did. Happy to have you back for another program here today. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Today's AOA brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. Coming up on our program today, we are going to talk markets in just a moment with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. In segment two, we'll get an update on the weather. Some folks got a little bit of snow over the holiday weekend. We're also going to touch on what's going on in South America. John Baranek, DTN Meteorologist, will be joining us. In segment three, we're going to have a conversation with the Iowa Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Neg. Looking forward to that conversation. HPAI outbreaks in the state of Iowa. Uh, another bullseye state once again for HPAI. And he also just returned from a UK trade mission. So we're going to talk to him about both of those issues uh, as well as take a look at news headlines coming up at the end of today's show. All right, well, let's dive into what is going on in the market trade here post-Thanksgiving holiday. We welcome in Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, thank you for joining us again as we uh, kick off another week. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, doing well, Jesse. Uh, looking forward to, you know, even now that we have one holiday out of the way, we've officially entered the holiday season where things can get a little bit uh, a little bit strange. They can act a little bit odd. Uh, we can see some pretty uh, strong volatility and not a lot of volume. Uh, so, you know, we're just getting right underway here Monday morning. Yeah, and that's a, a great point you bring up. Is that time frame between Thanksgiving and Christmas can always be very volatile with many folks uh, out of the market, taking their family on vacation, things like that. And, you know, I, th I think we saw some of that even on Friday. It was a very uh, volatile day Friday that really kind of turned risk off. And then we come back in on Monday morning with quietly mixed trade. A lot of folks looking at updated South America weather forecast, I would assume. But yeah. as you look across grains and oil seeds, I mean, it's a couple of cents either side of unchanged here today. Really not a lot of movement to start. Yeah, it, it's been an interesting day in soybeans. And so I, I think you're exactly right. I think everyone's looking at those South American forecasts. So it'll be interesting to see what, uh, interesting to hear what John Brannock has to say here in a little bit. Uh, because from a technical point of view, January you know, immediately falling, just quickly falling this morning to a new low. It took out its previous low uh, from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and so from a technical point of view, the rally that followed has soybeans now in position to possibly turn more bullish short term. And so what's interesting is that we, we can often see this starting to develop on the charts and then we get the uh the forecast or the talk of the forecast to follow up so you know i know there was some chatter about how you know the brazil was going to see the possibility of some some better rains here starting next week early december but this week was supposed to be hot and dry again and so now as we watch the market as we watch those jan march and may contracts is it possible some of that rain that was supposed to be in early December starting to go away? Again, one uh, another good uh, another good reason to tune in and listen to what uh, what John has to say. Definitely. What about some of those spreads in in mm -hmm. some of those uh, contracts, especially on the soybean side? How are things looking there? 
Yeah, you know, the, 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 the initial spread, the Jan March still holding in neutral territory. So that's more of the U.S. market. Uh, no shock there. Basis is still neutral. Uh, the Jan March spread is neutral. We're just seeing, you know, kind of an equilibrium between supply and demand. But as we go further out, the March May is leaning towards bullish and the May July is actually in bullish territory. So, again, what this tells us is there is concern over South American production, Brazil uh, Brazil in, in particular. So, you know, is that going to finally increase some of our, some of the export demand for U.S. beans later in the marketing year than what we usually see? It's usually between September and, say, February when the U.S. does most of its shipments. If Brazil has a shorter crop this year and China's needing beans, which they always need beans, uh, maybe it, we're looking at a later export push for U.S. soybeans rather than the normal six-month uh, upfront period. I know, too, we had a big drop in bean oil on Friday, but the value of crushed soybeans, that still remains a little bit above the cost of soybeans right now. So I know still a little bit of incentive out there for processors to keep on crushing soybeans, isn't there, Darren? Uh, there really is. And if we and we look out at the meal, you know, here this morning, we're seeing both oil and meal rally. Not too surprising. Again, Friday's can Friday session be, can be kind of set aside. It was shortened by holiday. Plus, you know, a lot of folks just weren't in the market. Uh, but we're seeing both oil and rally today. And again, it's the commercial traders who are coming in. So there is still value in the crush. There is still demand for the products themselves, more so than soybeans at this point. Now, we'll get our next round of uh, weekly export inspections. Again, they're, they're going to be lower because of last week's holiday. Uh, but, you know, by and large, it will get our next read on, on soybean exports uh, and then see if exports are keeping up with crush. On the corn side, I know a lot of attention is going to roll to the March contract mm -hmm. now with December uh, first notice day here on Monday. Uh, March corn kind of hovered around that 480 mark. As you look at the charts here, and a lot of folks roll kind of from the December to the March, uh, any mm -hmm. big notes you're watching in corn right now? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of talk about round numbers in, in the big three markets of crude oil, corn, and, uh, and, and gold. Uh, but what we've seen so far Monday morning is that March corn – well, the corn market in general quickly fell. I mean, March corn's fallen as much as, you know, five and a quarter cents. So it's taken out for 80 uh, here early uh, in, in uh, Monday's session. Does that mean anything? In the old days, taking out 480 opens the door to 470 based on corn's round number reliance. It used to go from, it used to like to go from round number to round number. Not seeing it quite as much these days, but I mean, the, the door, the, the possibility is still there. Is the market oversold? Absolutely. Is it fundamentally, uh, is there any fundamental reason for it to rally? No, we're, we're seeing a little bit of pressure in basis. We're seeing a little bit of pressure in spreads. Uh, the commercial side continues to sell and it. Really, it's just keeping non-commercial traders at bay. Really no reason for them to cover short positions at this point. Darren, I want to ask you about the cattle market. Friday was a really rough day in both live and feeder cattle futures. And I think a lot of that was probably a, a lack of eyeballs, a lack of folks in the market, just no volume there. And maybe we overdid it to the downside. I just wonder your thoughts as cattle rally back a little tiny bit on Monday, but a, a big down day on Friday's shortened session. Yeah, you're, you're right. You know, we, we there, there was a lot of folks out. There wasn't much volume uh, in the cattle markets. It was it was a big sell off. Now we are seeing some pressure still in the feeder cattle market. They've got a downtrend going on. They haven't been able to break out of that. And in the live cattle, I was interested to see what was going on, what would go on this week because we did finish last week with a bit lower uh, cash market while boxed beef held firm. It's still down from where we were at the end of October. 
Uh, but box beef actually firmed a bit last week while the cash market weakened. So got a little bit of back and forth going on right now as far as cash values of, of uh, the cattle market. And so we've got some buyers coming back in early Monday morning. Again, volume is not heavy. Uh, let's see what happens as the week goes on. More traders come back to the market and see if we can find some of that commercial buying that we need to provide some initial support and get live cattle turned back around. Definitely a lot of things to keep an eye on here as we start this week and get ready to wrap up the month of November later of the week. With that, Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Thank you for joining us, Darren, and we'll talk to you in the month of December. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you, Jesse. That is going to be an interesting thing to watch, what's going on in this market trade as we roll into the final month of the year. All right, up next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll talk about weather with John Baranek from DTN. That's coming up next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others all these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation 
and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA Agriculture of America, brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. As we continue our program here today, let's take a look at what's going on with weather, not only here in the U.S., but also, take a look at what is going on with weather in South America. I know a lot of folks are keeping a keen eye on Brazil and Argentina. Joining us now for weather discussion here to kick off the week, John Baranek, DTN meteorologist, is with us. John, hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining us today on AOA. I did, Jesse. Thanks for thanks for that. I hope you did too. Uh, it's always good to be, you know, with family at least a little bit, as long as you're not sick like you are. Yeah, I was going to say, I was a little under the weather last week and still feeling the effects as some folks may have just heard there at the beginning of the segment, but uh, overall it was great Thanksgiving. We're doing good. We're doing good for sure. A little bit of uh, colder weather though, kind of a shot of uh, winter moving into parts of the U.S. here uh, over the holiday weekend. I know some folks got some snow, got some cold temps here behind it and blustery conditions, wind chills could get down below zero in some spots early this week. So uh, a little sign, I think, that uh, old man winter's right around the corner, John. Yeah, it's a little shot of winter, but it's it's not much of one. It's not going to last long. But it was kind of potent if you were out in the plains. Like some areas of western Nebraska saw like 5 to 10 inches of snow, and there's a really strong stripe in uh, in, in Kansas that had 8 to 12 inches. Uh, I, I know it's kind of fun watching my uh, Iowa State Cyclones play Kansas State in the snow. Uh, it's a little – interesting to, to see that you don't really see that in november in kansas too often no nope. uh but uh yeah it got it got pretty cold behind that and uh those cold temperatures are producing some lake effects snow there around the great lakes they'll be doing that for the next couple of days um but you know it's that's not lasting long jesse we got warm temperatures moving right on in here later this week uh we'll be melting off that snow in the plains and any of those in the midwest that saw a couple of inches as well um and you know it's we're, we're setting up december like we usually see during El Nino's, which is, it's, it's crazy. The history on this is that it doesn't really matter whether it's a weak El Nino, a moderate one or a strong one. It's just seems like the month of December ends up being uh, above normal in terms of temperatures for everybody outside of the Southwest. So uh, that history looks like it's going to repeat itself at least for the first few weeks of December here. Well, looking at the uh, week ahead here uh, with some of that El Nino histories you mentioned and kind of, It feels like we're setting up this weather pattern of maybe some clippers off to the north into Canada and then some shower thunderstorm activity in parts of the south here later this week is kind of what I was reading uh, from some of your forecast details uh, on DTN's website here this morning. Is that kind of what we're looking at as we go through the rest of this week and into the weekend? We are, and that's that. That is pretty typical of of uh, El Nino too. Most of these clippers that you know, usually during La Nina, we get them to go through the north central U.S. through the Great Lakes and bring us some cold and some snow. Uh, during El Ninos, they usually stay up up in Canada and uh, go through the maybe the northeast at times. Uh, and that's what we're looking at here for this week. And then the, the southern end of the jet stream stays active as well. That's mostly from California over to the southeast. 
Um, this this week's a little bit a, a different from that, and that will spread some more showers farther north into the Midwest here later this week. And and uh, another one this weekend might be a little bit more potent than uh, the one late this week. But we've got um, uh, you know uh, an active weather pattern really setting up here uh, going into early December. That means some storm systems and and some heavy rain, some thunderstorms over areas uh, of the country that really need it. You know, over those those that southern tier of the U.S. Really saw drought build in over the the late summer and the fall uh, in a lot of areas outside of like Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, but you know, if, if you're looking at uh, Louisiana all the way up through Tennessee, uh, we just I mean the, the drought there has been really intense. We haven't really been able to get out of it in uh, parts of the Midwest here. Um, so at least we're, we've got some chances of helping to eliminate that, bring some more water into the Mississippi River system, help uh, help mm -hmm. barge traffic there a little bit. Um, and and uh, really kind of kick off the winter under a warm and, and kind of a, a wetter pattern here. I'm glad you mentioned the Mississippi River there. I was going to ask about that. Hopefully we can get some more water to flow into the uh, river system to help things out here as we go through the month of December. John, I want to turn our attention to South America. I know a lot of folks focused, of course, on Brazil, Argentina, especially Brazil with uh, just the weather pattern we've seen there. And uh, I had a conversation with a friend this morning who he kind of joked. He said, it's it's fun to watch on X Twitter. Uh, if you want the, you know, if you want the markets to think Brazil is dry or wet, it depends uh, which weather model you're <laughs> posting right now because the GFS and the Euro have some differences. It looked like, at least to my untrained eye, what are you kind of seeing as you look at the weather models for Brazil right now? Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned social media, and we could probably spend I don't know a whole whole show for you talking about South American weather. Um, but just kind of mm -hmm. the crib notes, you know, shot of it. You know, uh, Central Brazil did get some pretty decent rain over the last week. Um, it's not typical of what they see um, during the wet season. It's it's probably below normal. But you know, in terms of you know where they had been, at least they 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 were seeing some pretty decent rainfall in a lot of areas. That, that kind of is a little bit weaker here this week. And yeah, there are some differences between the Euro and the GFS and in it, but what we're seeing is just isolated showers here for the next several days in central Brazil. Um, you know, some folks will get hit, some folks won't. Uh, but when we get to this weekend, things really start to turn around. And uh, both the GFS and the Euro have increased their uh, precipitation uh, coverage and their amounts starting maybe Friday, but most likely Saturday and Sunday, and then continuing all of next week uh, for the, for the most part there. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's uh, kind of remarkable. And uh, you know, the, the amount of rain that's, that's going to come um, still looks like it's going to be above normal um, mm -hmm. for, for next week. So uh, they, they'll go through a little bit of a dry stretch here this week, but that's, that's only relative. And then they get pounded next week. And, um, you know, it, it looks like the weather situation is starting to make a turn. I mean, even if you look at some of the longer range versions of both the, the Euro and the GFS, uh, they're both wetter for the, if, if, for the month of December here. So um, especially from where they were, uh, uh, you know, last week and the week before of, mm -hmm. of you know, suggesting a drier December. Now they're, they're kind of, yeah, maybe it's going to be a wetter December. So um, things are starting to turn around in central Brazil. You know, it, it'll be just kind of interesting, um, you know, looking at social media and seeing, you know, okay, did, 
uh, folks down there change their plans because they had some harsh conditions there in central Brazil for a long time. Sure. And, um, you know, does that mean, do they replant their soybeans after the, now that the weather is good? Do they just go to their uh, full season corn or a, a full season cotton instead and, and skip the soybean? You know, it'll be interesting to see how plans kind of shape out there in central Brazil, because um, you could, you could kind of take the, the change in the weather, two ways, right? You could uh, say, oh, it's good. And, and everything with the first crop soybean will be great. And then they'll, they'll, they'll just plant their safrina and we'll go on with a normal year. But you know, with how dry it was, they, uh, we, we might see some folks uh, make some bigger changes out there. And that would be, a, you know, depending on how many folks change their plans uh, could make some significant moves to the market. And we just won't know that. I don't think for a while yet. No, we won't know that for a while. Well, watching, uh, we'll watch that forecast closely, see if uh, things do in fact turn around as we get into next week for Brazil. Argentina's had a few dry stretches here, but mostly has been good as well. Uh, I, I know some folks are watching the Panama Canal, though, too. That's been a big story that's uh, kind of creeped its way in and out of news headlines. H have you seen any updates in terms of the levels on the Panama Canal that could affect shipping here, John? Yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of dependent on some tropical moisture moving through uh, those areas. And when it dries out, then the canal dries out, all the, the lakes that feed into it and everything, too. So they, they, they just need rain. Um, and, you know, usually you can count on a good tropical system uh, late in the year, so October or November, to kind of flood that region back in again and, and make everything all hunky-dory. But we just didn't see that uh, this fall. And, you know, the, the tropical moisture has just been really lacking too which is kind of surprising um during el ninos that's that kind of stays up a bit especially with how mm -hmm. warm those waters are uh, off both coasts uh, either in the caribbean side of panama or in the pacific side so it's a little kind of um odd to see how dry it's been there in panama and, and leading to those issues um and but you know looking at the the, the models here for the next couple of weeks i mean there's showers around but it's nothing that's overly heavy that you'd expect uh, to be around this time of year. So uh, I think they'll still have some issues with that. Well, John, before we wrap it up, a uh, couple of sentences here. What's the big things you want folks to remember here for the rest of this week in terms of weather? Yeah, I mean, here in the U.S., we're looking at uh, an active and, and warmer pattern uh, as we head into December. We're going to be getting into the, uh, a more El Nino look here going forward, which is, uh, which is you know, depending on your... <laughs> idea of winter and probably a pretty good thing and uh helping to at least eliminate some of that drought across the south which would which, which mm -hmm. be helpful okay good stuff john baranek dtn meteorologist thanks for joining us this week on aoa have a good one we'll talk to you next week john thanks for having me on jesse good to talk to you all right coming up next here on aoa brought to you by cenex maxtron synthetic diesel engine oil we'll talk with iowa secretary of agriculture mike neg that's next on aoa Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that 
medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Corn futures are slightly lower this morning, and for the past 22 days, March has tried to rise above the 20-day moving average several times, only to be turned back. Last time corn was able to trade above that level was nearly five weeks ago. Demand for corn is positive, though, with export sales and shipments up a lofty 27% from a year ago. Ethanol demand is also positive, which has seen production rise to 6% above year-ago levels. And after a meltdown in the soybean and soy oil markets Wednesday and Friday of last week and three straight lower closes in soybean meal, soybeans are hovering around unchanged while meal and oil are up on the morning. Ag Rural is reporting that Brazil has now planted 74% of the crop, but that it trails last year's 87% pace and the five-year average of 88%. In Rio Grande do Sul, the soy crop is only 25% planted compared to 55% last year, and heavy rains and flooding along with the need to replant have impacted that pace. Now, while U.S. soybean export demand has steadily picked up compared to a year ago, U.S. sales and shipments are still nearly 20% lower. We did see on Friday another 16.6 million bushels of soybeans sold to China and unknown destinations combined, but it is the remnants of Brazil's record large soy crop that has put pressure on markets. That along with the weather is affecting the markets today. Now forecasts for center west Brazil remain frustrating for farmers in the region. Just scattered thunderstorms are providing a bit of relief for those fortunate enough to actually be underneath one or two of them. Weather models are continuing to show good rains a week out, with today's outlook wetter than what we saw on Friday, but those rains don't seem to move forward in the forecast. The VIX is trading near 13 this morning. While the dollar is firming up and crude oil prices are trading just slightly lower on demand concerns. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Great vision doesn't require great sight. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Make your impact today. Donate now at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Yeah, thanks for sticking with us here on AOA Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. You can find your nearest location 
right around the corner or just visit cenex.com to find that nearest location and find more information. Well, it's always uh, fun to cross paths with folks throughout agriculture uh, as a farm broadcaster. And the uh, gentleman joining us next, uh, it's been a while since I've had a conversation with him. Probably uh, the last time I did was when I was uh, working at my hometown radio stations in Mason City, Iowa. But pleased to have him join me here on AOA today. We welcome in Iowa Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Neg. And uh, Secretary, it's great to talk with you again. Hope you're doing well. Well, it's great to talk with you, and, and it seemed like whenever you and I would talk before, I was always on the move, and my phone would drop out, and I, I'm sitting in one place today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Well, I think typically when you and I talked to you, yeah, you were either on uh, your your 99-county tour of Iowa, or you were uh, in a tractor cab working the farm there in uh, northwest <laughs> Iowa. It was one of the two, it seemed like, Mike. That's right. That's right. You got you got me in the office today, which is never good, right? I, my my team doesn't want me here. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, got you in the office. Uh, a good thing. I know you just got back from a trade mission in the United Kingdom, and I know we want to talk about that today. We got HBAI to talk about as well, but I, I want to start just on a lighter topic first for us. Uh, Fall harvest, I know, pretty much wrapped up in Iowa. How did things fare for uh, many of the farmers across the state here this growing season? Yes, essentially we are. You know, we're wrapping up harvest. There's always a few folks that uh, that last percent or so of corn uh, typically takes uh, a while. Actually, I was down to my my in-laws uh, down in southwest Iowa this past weekend and for Thanksgiving, and we did see a few few fields of corn that still need to be harvested. But really, by uh, all intents and purposes, uh, harvest is, is complete. Uh, there's a lot of work that gets done after the combine is parked, though, and we've had a great weather for that for the most part. Uh, now we got some snow on the ground in the southern part of the state. But really, as I travel, as I talk with folks, as I hear yield reports, the folks will say better than I could have expected given the conditions. And again, we're talking about 176, I think, consecutive weeks of at least D1 drought in the state of Iowa. So, I mean, that's really saying something when you can still, uh, you know, come in at, you know, fourth or fifth largest corn and soybean crop uh, this year in the state of Iowa. There's certainly some areas that were impacted by the drought. Northeast had a pocket, southeast had a pocket, and we know that there were significant yield reductions there. But by and large, hearing very, very strong uh, reports coming from across the state. Well, that is a good thing to hear, a good thing to hear. All right, let's turn our attention to some other topics here. Um, you uh, just got back from a U.K. trade mission. Uh, I'm curious, uh, share with folks what you were doing over in the United Kingdom and and maybe some of the results from that trade mission uh, here, Secretary Neg. Yeah, it was a it was a very interesting trip. I was able to travel with colleagues of mine from uh, Massachusetts and and uh, Connecticut, Arizona, Tennessee, Indiana, and, uh, and then represent the state of Iowa. We traveled, uh, you know, and, and visited farms and and visited with uh, agriculture leaders from the uh, farm community, but also then had a chance to visit with some policymakers as well in London. Um, uh, farming Minister Mark Spencer had actually been in Iowa just a couple of weeks prior uh, for the World Food Prize. We were able to tour with him, get him on some farms here. And it was wonderful to be able to visit with him in London then just, just two weeks after he'd been in Iowa. So really a nice bookend there. And really it's just about trying to understand each other's agriculture better, trying to figure out where we've got opportunities to expand. And, of course, the U.K. is very, very interested in uh, establishing a free trade agreement with the United States. We already have a very strong 
trade relationship with the UK. Uh, you know, for uh, I think for for you know the United States, it's something like the fifth largest export market. Uh, it's uh, you know maybe eleventh for the state of Iowa. So it's not a huge market for us. Uh, existing, but I think there's always an opportunity to expand that, some higher value products. Uh, ethanol certainly is a bright spot, equipment, uh, you name it, but also I think some really interesting things that can develop from an ag tech standpoint, meaning I uh, visited with some startups in the UK. Uh, they've got some interesting ideas, a lot of focus on precision ag, both in the crop and the mm-hmm. livestock standpoint. But how they don't have access to the scale that we do, and so you know we we are really interested in attracting startups to a state like Iowa, get them hooked up with established com- companies here, maybe Iowa State University, the Cultivation Corridor, and give them an opportunity to invest here. So I think there's uh, lots of opportunities both directions. Well, it's good to hear that it was a great trip, and uh, you know glad you mentioned that the UK wants to establish a, a free trade agreement with the US because ever since they left the European Union, obviously it, that's change some things there so uh, hopefully hopefully we get something done on that front here in the next year or so ahead obviously it, it takes a while to get some of these uh big free trade agreements done as we know mike it, it does and, and under the trump administration they had started negotiating a trade agreement that's really gone quiet here during the current administration uh, but but I would say that really there you just nailed it. The opportunity is that as the UK has exited, you know that they call it Brexit, uh, left the e- European Union, and and there's really a lot of work that needs to be done then because they're still uh, they're they're extracting themselves from that European mindset around agriculture and regulation. And, and my gosh, we've seen in some countries the Netherlands is a good example. I mean, they've all but declared war on agriculture, calling them polluters and putting them out of business. Uh, we certainly mm-hmm. uh, didn't see that in the UK has got those pressures, but they need to be and want to be productive. They've got to uh, turn their face a, a bit from the, that UK, that European Union mindset, sorry, and uh, start thinking a little differently. And so there, there's just an opportunity there to get connected uh, on a deeper level. And of course, by the way, this is one of our oldest friends, most important allies. We should be doing more business with our friends. We are talking today with Iowa Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Nag here on AOA. And uh, Mike, stirred our attention to HPAI, Highly Pathogenic Avian Influenza. This is uh, not only a state of Iowa issue, I'd call it an upper Midwest issue. Mm-hmm. We've seen outbreaks here again. This is not our first time around with HPAI. What is some of the latest you're hearing uh, for your state, the state of Iowa, in terms of this latest HPAI outbreak? Yeah, unfortunately, we are once again dealing with this. So just to set the stage, remember that you know we had it in 2015 in the spring, and then now we're dealing with it for really the second year uh, in this current outbreak. Started spring of 22, reoccurred fall of 22, reoccurred spring of 23. Now we've seen a reoccurrence fall of 23. And it's very obvious, it's, it's clear that wild birds, migrating birds, are carrying this virus with them. And so as they started to fly south, uh, they were infecting sites along the way. So it started in South Dakota and Minnesota. Actually, not started there. I mean, it's been across the United States, but we saw to our north, South Dakota, Minnesota, with some outbreaks. 
then it occurred for us and as it's you know now you're kind of seeing it progress down through the the Mississippi flyway uh, again it's just unfortunate that it's uh, happening again here this fall but we are uh, dealing with it we've had uh, you know several commercial turkey sites and now just recently a couple of egg laying facilities as well so uh, it's a it's a tough time uh, I'm proud of the work that our team is doing and I'm really proud of the work that the industry has done to respond to step up biosecurity to effectively contain the virus, but there's clearly more work that needs to be done to try to prevent that introduction from wild birds. Well, and that's a great point. You brought up biosecurity because I would have to think that that's, as of right now, our, our best defense against keeping HPAI out of our flocks. And I think right now it's kind of turned into more of a, you know, how much can we stop the damage, so to speak, and try and get through this latest round of outbreaks, Mike? That's spot on. It, it is. Prevention is the most important thing that we can try to do. And, and I will say the reason I talk about the fact that we've seen industry step up is back in 2015, we saw significant movement of the virus. Once it was in a site, then we saw it move from farm to farm. It was being spread. Uh, who knows what variety of vectors, but it was being moved by people or equipment. Uh, somehow, and and that farm-to-farm spread is not happening in this most recent outbreak. These are independent wild bird introductions. But, again, that tells us we've got more that we need to learn, Um, you know, that there's uh, the pressure is there, the threat is there, and folks really need to continue to explore what is going on. So prevention is best. Uh, The second best is that we effectively and quickly respond. And uh, the quicker that we can detect a positive and get that site quarantined and get those birds uh, contained and disposed of, uh, the quicker that we can knock down and the easier we can knock down that virus load. So those are all the things that we've got to stay focused on. And and again, that that work's going on right now. Well, I know you guys have a lot of great HPAI resources on your website, iowaagriculture.gov. And, of course, if folks uh, suspect they see HPAI in their uh, flocks, contact their local veterinarian. Mike, uh, before we let you go real quick, I I know you guys are doing a lot of great things in Iowa in terms of uh, soil conservation, water quality. There's a lot of info about that on your website. I know, too, Iowa's been leading the charge on the E15 front. Uh, The AG's attorney generals from Iowa, Nebraska, petitioned the EPA earlier this year. We're still waiting on some movement on getting year-round E15. Is there any updates you've heard from uh, folks uh, throughout Iowa as we watch this issue? You know, unfortunately, no. We haven't heard a whole lot of progress, and we should be. Uh, between the, the Governor Reynolds and her colleagues from some Midwestern states seeking a waiver, between General Byrd and her colleagues pursuing some litigation, uh, you know, the, the efforts of the Iowa congressional delegation and others throughout the region, uh, we, just, we just run into a, a, a brick wall, it seems like, uh, in, in Washington right now. And this is something that could be dealt with by EPA. And uh, really, what, we're, what are we talking about here? We're talking about increasing the blend of ethanol, the availability of more homegrown, renewable, U.S.-produced domestic energy, and uh, especially in an uncertain world, and an uncertain world in some places where oil comes from, we should be thinking about mm-hmm. energy independence and what that can mean for Iowa producers and, and, and consumers. So uh, we need to get back on track here and like to see some progress. Well, we'll hopefully see some progress soon. We're out of time. Iowa Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Neg. Thanks for joining us, Mike. We'll get you back on AOA again soon. Appreciate it. You bet. All right. Coming up next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex. We'll take a look at news headlines right after this.
What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey. <laughs> hey we're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on. And we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. 
By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted car. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Let's take a look at news headlines before we run out of time here on the program. The EPA's latest proposal to restrict pesticide use is causing alarm among soybean growers. The American Soybean Association's chief economist Scott Geralt says the Environmental Protection Agency's proposed pilot to protect endangered species well before years-long reviews is so broad it could put some producers out of business. It would affect about 13 million acres of cropland, uh, of which about 5 million acres are soybeans. And and really, it's it's not sustainable. Geralt says the vulnerable species pilot project under a court settlement could erase profit margins by requiring mitigation in areas with ranges for 27 endangered species. One example is in runoff controls. Annualized cost, that's about $150 an acre that you're draining. And so, I mean, you know, that's about the average cost of um, the value added um, of the land for agriculture. So that's the real concern is that it would put a lot of a lot of these acres out of ag production in these affected areas. Buffers and filter strips could run 100 to 200 dollars more per acre. Geralt says USDA has also weighed in with EPA. USDA is pretty skeptical of this proposal as well. They think this could have a very large negative impact and that EPA could do things that are a lot more targeted and not so negative. As one part of this proposal, if you're in certain areas, you have to consult Fish and Wildlife Service at least three months before for applications. USDA is skeptical that Fish and Wildlife Service has the manpower to even do this. The American Soybean Association says the EPA could expand its pilot beyond the 27 species first affected. The agency has until the end of next September to decide the program's final scope. Well, heading into harvest in the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank's district, farmers face the lower incomes because of falling commodity prices and rising production costs. 
A third quarter survey of ag bankers showed that while incomes fell, the decline wasn't uniform. District-wide, 46% of agricultural lenders said incomes dropped in the third quarter from a year earlier, up from 35% in the second quarter. More than a third of the bankers said farm household spending increased, while slightly more than half reported no change. Capital spending also dropped as 35% of the bankers saw decreased investment in equipment and buildings from a year ago, compared to 21% who reported increased spending. A Minnesota banker reported, quote, interest rates are slowing down borrowing and capital purchases as cash flows are under more stress, end quote. Farm finances remained in good condition despite the negative hit to income. Loan repayment rates held steady. Well, the U.S. saw growth of almost 31% in net farm income from 2021 through 2022. NFI is a broad measure of farm sector profitability. Researchers with USDA's Economic Research Service used data for the farm income and wealth statistics to classify states into six categories of net farm income changes. The five agricultural states with the highest NFI include Texas, which had the highest NFI growth at 65% from 2021 to 2022, followed by Minnesota at 55.7%. Growth in the remaining top five states, including California, Iowa, and Illinois, was also strong. Other states among the top 25 for average NFI had a wide range of NFI changes from 2021 to 2022. Many showed strong growth, such as Idaho at 116%, Georgia at 104%, Florida just over 100%, and North Dakota at 76%. However, Kansas and Washington state's NFI fell 23 and 28 percent, respectively. Well, the U.S. Grains Council released its second annual Corn Origins Report, which explores the performance of U.S. corn against corn from other countries in poultry diets. U.S., Argentinian, and Brazilian corn samples were collected from an international feed company in Colombia for use in the study. The study found that birds fed diets with U.S. corn consumed less feed throughout the entire grow-out phase compared to those fed Argentinian or Brazilian corn. The lower feed conversion rates in the poultry-fed U.S. corn translated into significant long-term cost savings. Depending upon the number of poultry produced, the savings could be very large. The study was done to address customer concerns about the fragility of U.S. corn and the breakage occurring during the export process. Kurt Schultz, Senior Director of Global Strategies for the U.S. Grains Council, says, quote, We found that U.S. corn, despite its fragility, outperforms other origins in terms of digestible starch, end quote. Well, deer and company sales in the fourth quarter of fiscal year 2023 fell year over year, though the earnings per share did increase. The company says it reported that revenue in the three months ending on September 30th was reported at $15.41 billion, 1% lower than the same quarter last year. The equipment manufacturer also says earnings rose to $8.26 a share from $7.44 a year earlier. Production and precision agriculture sales in the fourth quarter fell 6%. Small agriculture and turf revenue was down 13% year-over-year. Construction and forestry sales rose 11%. Meantime, full-year sales for deer jumped 16% to $61.25 billion, while earnings came in at $34.63 a share versus $23.28 a year earlier. U.S. beef and pork exports to China received a boost recently with new plant approvals that were a long time coming. 
Aaron Borer, U.S. Meat Export Federation Vice President for Economic Analysis, has more details. The Phase 1 agreement has many benefits for U.S. agriculture, but particularly related to plant approvals. Since the 2020 implementation of the Phase 1 agreement, China has further rolled out plant and establishment registration processes that are fairly complex. And fortunately for U.S. beef and pork, Phase 1 takes precedent. USDA Food Safety Inspection Service plant approvals are still what is recognized by China. And up until about December of last year, that process was working and in place. And then this year in 2023, we hadn't seen any plant list updates. The good news is China did update the establishment lists, and that update included 12 pork establishments and 18 beef establishments. And it was a big sigh of relief that China was still recognizing the phase one agreement and updating the list as put forward by FSIS. And we still expect to see further updates, hopefully still yet before the end of 2023. While the China market is not as red hot as in years past, Borer explains it's still a critical destination for the U.S. pork and beef industries. There is plenty of pork in the China market, and that's kind of weighing overall. But we still see China helping to support a record year for U.S. pork variety meat exports. Our pork variety meat shipments to China this year are up 9% from last year. Shipments to China of beef so far this year are down 23%, but that still puts them as number four after Korea, Japan, and Mexico. So a huge destination for U.S. beef and, again, one that can turn quickly. And find more info at usmef.org. We're out of time here on AOA Today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whenever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to oli.org. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Children are the greatest joy and our best hope for a better future. Friends, they are the future. But did you know that millions of kids right here in our own backyard are facing hunger every day? Without healthy food, it's harder to grow, to thrive, to feel their best. The impact when children don't have enough to eat is tremendous because when you're hungry and your basic needs aren't being met, you cannot learn. Every child deserves to be fed. This is a problem we know how to solve. Food is not just food. It's energy, health, confidence, hope, and even love. Yes, love. Breakfast in the classroom contributes to kids being more focused, which leads to higher grades, and simply just their well-being. Thank you! Learn more about how No Kid Hungry is helping end child hunger in America at Help 
nokidhungry.org.